episode 75 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast is brought to you by betonline.ag. Sign up with betonline.ag today and score a 75% bonus to use on this week's loaded betting board. Simply use promo code BOXINGRANT and up to $1,000 worth of sportsbook bonuses will be added to your bankroll instantly. BetOnline posts the most odds on every major sport. Football, basketball, baseball, boxing. You'll never miss an opportunity to get in on the action at BetOnline. Once again, that's promo code Boxing Rant for your exclusive 75% bonus. Sign up at betonline.ag today because you can. Welcome to the Tale of the Tape. It's the pound for pound, undisputed kings. It's the tale of the tape, time to enter the ring. Boxing knowledge dropped by Kenny and Vin. It's the sweet science by the diehard fan. Manny and Floyd, Triple G and the rest. Like an overhand right from Crusher Kovalev. The tale of the tape on theboxingrant.com. It's the pound for pound, undisputed kings. It's the tale of the tape, time to enter the ring. The tale of the tape on theboxingrant.com. Welcome back to the tale of the tape. What up, what up, fight fans? Welcome back to episode 75 of the tale of the tape boxing podcast here on theboxingrant.com. I'm your host, Kenny Keith, and you can follow me on Twitter at Kenny Keith Jr. Follow the show at the boxing rant, and you can drop me a line podcast at theboxingrant.com. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes today and leave a review. It's much appreciated indeed, as it is appreciated as always that you join me for another episode of the Pound for Pound King of Boxing podcasts, the tale of the tape. All right, it's going to be a short and sweet episode today as there's not much going on, a few Tuesday fights, um, and then I will leave you for the next few days and come back at the end of the week to preview the upcoming heavyweight defense of Deontay Wilder, plus a special announcement for next week's Tuesday episode, I think some of our older uh, contingency of listeners here um, and the most most diehard listeners, the ones that make the tale of the tape part of their weekly routine, uh, will be uh, pleasantly surprised. Um, so more on that coming soon. But let's go ahead and get down to business here and preview this week's PBC on FS1, that's right, Fox Sports 1, the latest platform, toe-to-toe Tuesdays, as it has been dubbed. J-Rock Julian Williams will step up against Luciano Cuello in a 154-pound contest from the Sands Casino in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. The Philadelphia native and the number five ranked prospect in all of professional boxing, as rated by, right here, the Boxing Rant, on a previous episode of the Tale of the Tape Boxing podcast, J-Rock comes in high, highly regarded. You've heard us speak in regards to J-Rock time and time again. Comes into the fight at 20-0-1 with 12 knockouts. The 25-year-old orthodox boxer puncher is a technician in the ring. 
You know, I mean, there are few fighters of the age and experience level of Julian Williams that fight with one, the level of determination, the grit, the grind to his step in the ring. He is calculated. He is ferocious. He is heavy-handed with both hands, doesn't necessarily look to blast opponents out, but likes to break them down with a combination of power, accuracy, and absolute precision. J-Rock Julian Williams is perfectly sized, perfectly primed, and perfectly tooled and equipped to make a serious run in the 154-pound division and quite possibly, and I think inevitably, becoming a serious, serious title contender at the 160-pound division. Obviously, that'll all be predicated on whether or not J-Rock can make 154 pounds with ease as he ages, as you and I both know all too well, that as you approach 30, pounds come from everywhere. You don't even know where they come from. Mine usually come from the bottom of a tub of ice cream. Um, others, uh, <laughs> uh, everybody has their uh, their go-to. But Julian Williams will be a result, not of ice cream binge eating, uh, as is the case <laughs> <laughs> as is the case here, um, but will just be a, a natural progression. And I think a 160 pounds will suit him well. He has the boxing skills um, to go far indeed. This is a serious step-up fight for him. You know, some of you may not be familiar with Luciano Cuello, but Cuello is a really good fight. This is a good matchup for J-Rock. This is a good step in a progression, one of the very few progressions that's actually pretty noticeable by the PBC. A lot of the matchmaking has been without rhyme or reason, but this seems to be leading somewhere. I'll get to that in a minute. Luciano Cuello's 35-3 and with 17 knockouts. The 31-year-old Orthodox fighter from Argentina comes in with three really notable fights under his belt, all three of which he fell you know, considerably short in losing a unanimous decision to J.C. Superstar Jr., Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. back in 2009 from Tijuana, Mexico. Got knocked out by Canelo Alvarez back in 2010, another fight in Mexico, and then lost a really competitive scrap to Willie Nelson uh, back in June of 2013 on an HBO card from the Foxwoods Resort in Connecticut. I'll say this about Cuello, okay? I like his style. He presses forward. He's always in the high guard. It's not just his bald head and sort of his facial structure that reminds me of Arthur Abraham, but sort of that high guard entry. Um, He's gritty. He's tough. He fights with extreme determination. He has enough power to let his opponents know that he's there. By no means is it devastating. Um, By no means do I think it's enough to even, even really... Uh, he may gain the respect of J-Rock with his, uh, you know, with his power, but by no means do I think he has an opportunity to hurt him in this fight. But it was enough to stagger Willie Nelson twice in the seventh round of their clash and in the closing round of their fight with an uppercut before Nelson held on for dear life uh, en route to that victory. You know, one of the biggest differences between Luciano Cuello and J-Rock is that Cuello has been in with tougher opponents because he's the more experienced fighter, right? He's the older fighter. But also the rounds logged in the ring. Cuello has been in twice as many, twice as many rounds almost at 222 pro rounds. You know, that cannot be lightly understated, the importance of uh, logging rounds in the ring. I mean, this is why we see so many 
so many of the best fighters today, the elite fighters today, really separate themselves with their uh, their pedigree, their amateur pedigree, the rounds they've logged in the ring, the familiarity of being within the ropes. You hear trainers talk about this time and time again, the value, the muscle memory, repetition that comes with being in the ring. J-Rock, 115 rounds under his belt, but well experienced beyond his actual experience level in the ring, and that speaks to his God-given talents, his innate ability, and his high boxing IQ. Cuello can be stiff-legged, and this is where I think J-Rock has an opportunity to end this fight sooner than later. He tends to put a lot of weight, Cuello does, on his back foot. In the Willie Nelson fight, the lankier Nelson had a lot of success catching Cuello in between movements with when, when Cuello was caught pretty much with his feet together, squared up. Now, okay, Luciano Cuello has had success in every fight minus the Canelo Alvarez fight where he has been able to press. If J-Rock allows Cuello to force the pace and force the action coming forward, then it will go the distance. I, I don't have any doubt about that at all. J-Rock will win this fight one of two ways. He'll outbox him over 10 rounds, right? Cuello will have success in areas because he's tough and because he does like to move forward. Or J-Rock can just go in for the kill with accurate precision. That's the way Canelo Alvarez blasted Cuello out was with pin point punching. He, you know, Canelo doesn't waste punches anyways. We all know that, right? Unless you're, you know, Erzlandi Lara literally running from him. So more punches will miss um, as your target is moving backwards and away from you. But Canelo likes to come forward with, with precision punching. Um, he's a very accurate puncher, and he is very, he rations out um, the, the power punching. Julian Williams is much the same. Uh, Julian Williams is a bit more shifty in his shoulders. You can tell he does a lot of rope work. Um, he's very dodgy. Uh, he has the physical ability to to go the entire distance with Quayo and flat out box him. But if he can pick his spots and bring the power shots um, and be equitable with his power punching, I truly believe that Julian Williams can blast uh, Luciano Quayo out of here. This is a good step up for J Rock. Tune in to Fox Sports One for J Rock versus. Cuello, my prediction for the fight, is Julian Williams by way of broken down eighth-round stoppage of Luciano Cuello. All right, so we move to another fight that may have already taken place by the time that this gets published because of the time differences in Japan, but Shinseki Yamanaka versus Anselmo Moreno for the WBC Bantamweight Championship. Yamanaka, age 32, the top bantamweight in all the land, rated number nine on the ring's pound-for-pound list, is 9-0 with seven knockouts in title fights. One of the best fighters in the world. Most, I think the number nine ranking by the ring is generous, but most certainly a top 20 fighter in the world. He operates effectively from a tall, classic boxing stance behind a jab and very, very upright at times. Loves to work from distance. He is smooth, cool, calm, collected, and calculated. Say all those C's. Cool, calm, collected, and calculated is Yamanaka. Yamanaka does not worry. He does not press. He does not panic. 
He is as cool as the other side of the pillow in the ring. Ironically enough, coming in the ring against Anselmo Moreno, Anselmo Moreno is a classic boxer um, in every sense of the word. The Panamanian is number three ranked in the world by uh, Ring Magazine in the bantamweight division. He's 13-2 and two lifetime in title fights, 35-3-1, coming off of a loss last September that could discourage most fighters. The WBA bantamweight title was on the line against Juan Carlos Payano. There was an accidental clash that caused a cut on Moreno, and he could not hold out as it was sent to the scorecards because of damage from the accidental headbutt, and Payano escaped. Who knows what would have happened in those final six rounds? I'm not sure. What I saw in that fight was Payano was clearly winning the fight, and it may have had something to do with the distraction of the bleeding from Moreno. Moreno is the type of fighter who likes to fight in rhythm. If his rhythm is disrupted, you can defeat him. That was how Abner Mares defeated him, was by disrupting the rhythm of Anselmo Moreno. Anselmo Moreno is a really good boxer, really, really good boxer. Um, but it's clear that the blood had to have had something with disrupting that rhythm against Payano, which is the reason why this is not a unification fight. The classic Southpaw likes to work behind the jab as does Yamanaka. These two are very much one and the same uh, in this regard, which is why this is such, I guess, for you know the boxing uh, mental masturbator is a sexy matchup because you do have two very classic boxing southpaws who like to operate behind the jab. Moreno, like I said before, is most comfortable in a rhythm, and he likes to be an operator and a technician in the ring. So to me, if you put this all on paper, you have two very similar fighters in their approach in the way they like to, uh, I guess, start their game, implement their game, set the tone behind the jab. But realistically, what could prove to go in Moreno's favor in this one is that Moreno likes to attack the body. Yamanaka's a taller fighter, not by much, but in an upright stance, sometimes a more upright fighter is more susceptible to body work. Now, will Moreno be able to get close enough to the taller Yamanaka to be able to implement that body work? That is yet to be seen. But realistically, Yamanaka will beat Moreno decisively if he can disrupt the Panamanian. But, but Moreno will keep it close if he has a chance to box. With all these X factors, the level playing field as far as skill set, tactics, technique, experience, all of those things to me are pretty damn level. So what this is going to come down to, in my opinion, is home field advantage for the Japanese WBC bantamweight champion, Shinseki Yamanaka. Home field advantage, um, and he is riding high right now at 24, uh, I mean at 23 and 0 with 17 knockouts, looks to go uh, to 24 and 0. My prediction for the fight, my prediction will be, even though Moreno's uh, kryptonite is this disruption I've spoke of uh, repeatedly, the chaos, the pressure, he does not like it. This is not Shinseki Yamanaka's game. Look for the Japanese champion to stay within himself, trust his skills as a boxer, and win in his way. Control, calm, collected, calculated. Yamanaka looks to beat Moreno on skill, knowing that he has the judges in the home field advantage. Yamanaka by way of close decision. 
All right, before I get to the results from this past weekend, the LA Fight Club and other bouts, I'd just like to take a few moments to thank our sponsor. Looking to maximize your sports betting bankroll? Then sign up at betonline.ag today. Claim that exclusive 75% bonus on your first deposit. Use promo code BOXINGRANT. Promo code BOXINGRANT. And up to $1,000 worth of sportsbook free plays will be credited to your account instantly. Once you're in on the action, you'll see exactly why I've been using betonline.ag for six-plus years now. Bonuses on every qualifying deposit. The earliest opening odds in the industry. State-of-the-art live betting software. The highest parlay and teaser payouts on the planet. The NFL football season is in full gear. You're getting peppered with this DraftKings FanDuel nonsense nonstop. Get to bet online and place your bets on the action. You have a better chance to win on bet online. The odds are much more favorable, much more favorable. Baseball playoffs are right around the corner. And that's just a small sample of what is waiting for you at betonline.ag. Thanks to a large list of banking options, including credit cards, getting your account up to speed only takes a minute. It only takes a few moments to get signed up. And when it comes time to get paid, you get your winnings delivered on time. Remember, get your 75% bonus. Sign up at betonline.ag today because you can. Promo code boxing rant. All right, thanks to betonline.ag. Let's move to the action from the LA Fight Club in Blasco Theater. Jeffrey Fontanez was trying to move past a pretty devastating loss um, that he suffered back in August of 2014 when he lost to a much larger Gilberto Gonzalez. Well, uh, yeah. Quintero ended up flipping the apple cart. Wow. Unbelievable. People thought I was being way too critical of the Puerto Rican prospect with my analysis of his fight with Gonzalez. The way I saw Fontanez basically get bullied in that fight raised red flags for me. So if the things, if the concerns I had far outweighed the positives for Fontanez, <laughs> Quintero uh, proved me to be 100% correct. Quintero was handpicked for Fontanez. He... Fontanez dwarfed Quintero in the ring, not to mention the almost 10-inch reach advantage. That's almost his arms almost uh, his reach almost a foot longer. That's insane. Um, you know, Fontanez may need a career change because there's really at this point, at this age, you've been knocked out in two of your last three fights, and you're only 23 years old. Um you're getting knocked out by journeymen that are actually below contender level fighters. I mean, what does that make you if you're getting stopped by that level of opponent this early in your career? I know he's only 23, but unless this kid is taught to not just stand there with his hands down um, and think that he's some kind of banger because he's not, he doesn't have the power to be that. And he obviously doesn't have the chin. Then he needs to hang it up. You know, I don't say this very often about fighters, but I will about a young fighter who is supposed to be a prospect that can't get past this step-up level opponent. Not only that, but it's getting knocked out in two of his last three fights. You know? Uh, honestly, I think it's time to hang it up. All right, the PBC on bounce from Winter Park, Florida. The only thing mentionable to me is there's one bright spot on this card. Uh, it's not to minimize anything else that happened that night in Winter Park, Florida. But Erickson Lubin, okay? This 
kid is the truth and is rapidly approaching the top 10 prospects in all of boxing list. If not, has entered it. When uh, the rankings are reassessed at the year-end awards, I can almost guarantee you that Erickson Lubin will have entered the top 10. He defeated Orlando Laura by way of impressive dominant six-round TKO. Rubin dropped Laura in the second round, and Laura's corner stopped the fight. The 5'11", 154-pounder, has a 76-inch reach. 5'11", 76-inch reach. That is remarkable for a junior middleweight. It really is. This kid's athleticism and his ring IQ at this age, he's only 19 years old. Now, Grant, he turns 20 in just a few weeks, right? At 20 years old, I don't think there is a better 20-year-old, or I should say 19 because he's still 19 at this point, uh, than Erickson Lubin right now. This kid is well-advanced, super, super athletic. If he can take a punch from top-level fighters, we're talking about a possible future middleweight champion of the world. He's too big, too rangy to stay at 154 his entire life unless he is fully grown at 19, which I highly doubt it. You are looking at We could see, with the PBC ranks, some pretty exciting fights in the future um, You know, with the likes of the young talent that is in and around 147 to 154, possibly moving up to 160. Uh, you know, with the likes of Erickson Lubin and the aforementioned, uh, previously previewed um, J-Rock and Julian Williams. Um, yeah, Ho- uh, Jose Felix Jr. returned to the ring, uh, one of top-ranked prospects from Studio City, California on Unimas, squared off against Marcos Jimenez. Jimenez gave Felix everything he had in this one, dropping the top prospect in the first round. Felix recovered, but it was a tough to do all evening long. The difference in the fight, as it turned out, was the scorecards. There was a point deduction in the sixth round for a low blow from Jimenez. Two of the judges scored the fight 95-94. One low blow from a draw. Felix still has his eyes on another Felix, top prospect in all the land, Felix Verdejo. Why? I don't know. Maybe he sees something in the young Puerto Rican number one prospect in all of boxing. I'm not sure if that's the road I would take, but I give him credit if he wants to go after uh, the pedigree, the likes, the potential of Felix Verdejo. Hey, more power to him. I'd love to watch the fight, you know, especially if Jose Felix is kind of in this uh, teetering. He's not really quite living up to the potential that we think he can live up to, but he still has, you know, uber talent that Felix has. Felix Verdejo may be uh, a really big catapulting fight here within the next year, year and a half for Felix Verdejo pending return from injury. All right, so two more fights to recap from uh, the weekend, but I just want to take a second and remind all of you to subscribe to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast on iTunes and leave a review. It's appreciated. It helps other boxing fans find the show, makes it more discoverable. And I'd like to thank all of you for tuning in to Episode 75 and the new listeners that come on board every single week. I got a nice email here from Denise Wards, who said she just started listening to the show. She enjoys the insight of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast, though she doesn't necessarily agree sometimes. um, It is one of the two shows that she listens to that is honest. She is a diehard fan of the sport and a historian of boxing. Well, I appreciate that, Denise. It means a lot. Um, You know, it, it shows the type of listener that we have for the show, for the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast, one that can accept other points of view 
um, even though they don't agree with them. And, you know, you're, we're, we're, we're not going to always agree. I'm not going to agree with some of the people that I respect in this industry either. But the bottom line is, is that here on the tail of the tape, we try to bring an uncompromised, honest perspective. Do with it what you will. But thanks again to Denise Wards for tuning in, and it's great to have you on board as a regular listener to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. All right, let's keep on trucking here on episode 75 of the Tale of the Tape. Eric Skoglin versus Oleksandr Cherviak, the very first title fight in Sweden in 47 years for the IBF Intercontinental Light Heavyweight title. The number four ranked 175-pounder in the land, Eric Skoglin. Um... You know, some of our friends in Sweden are very high on Skoglund. They're proud of their countrymen as he rises through the ranks. Um, Skoglund improved to 23-0, unanimous decision, no doubt about it. But i got to be honest with you. I think it's great that Sweden has an undefeated prospect. I do. I think it's great for the sport. I think the more countries that are, you know, that participate in boxing uh, just makes the overall product of boxing better because you have just a wider variety of demographic and skill set that is brought to uh, the game. But, man, does this kid need some serious technical training. I mean, he needs needs a world-class trainer, this kid. He makes mistakes in the ring that are going to get him hurt. If if he makes that step up, they may keep him over in Sweden, you know. They may keep him over uh, in Northern Europe for, I don't know, for a long time. They may because... He needs some seasoning. This kid's got to get in there. He's, he's got to move past the level of Alexander Cherviak. He can't be fighting, you know, I, I know he beat Glenn Johnson, but, man, Glenn Johnson's like 80 now, isn't he? Um, I mean, this kid has a, a serious fatal flaw that's going to get him hurt against elite fighters. The way Skoglin squares up when throwing his punches will get him steamrolled. I'm not talking about his shoulders because punches sometimes have to be thrown that way depending on the distance you are from your opponent and the way that you may be reacting to something that they are doing, right? Inevitably, even even regardless if you are in a proper stance and following all the way through and turning your shoulders with power, at some point, your shoulders will end up being squared. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about his feet. When he starts to let his hands go, his feet are spread so far apart. I mean, dead even to one another. This, pro- I mean, it's probably why, honestly, his knockout numbers are so bad against lower-level competition. He gets no power on his punches. He literally has to take forward momentum as he's coming forward, legs spread wide apart next to each other. I mean, he gets nothing on him. He, if he gets caught standing in that position, which he will, if he does not make a change, he's going to get hurt. I wish uh, the best of luck to the Swede. He's going to need it. Um, one of my favorites, Hecky Butler, the WBA strawweight champion, the number one rated strawweight in all the land, squared off in a grudge match against Simpiwe Konko from Emperor's Palace in South Africa. Butler's 13th title fight, Konko ranked number four by the WBA. He's been calling out Butler. We talked about this in the preview. Butler defeated him by way of unanimous decision, improving to 29-1. and one. You know, it would honestly be really great, you know, uh, granted, granted, this was a competitive fight, okay? It was great for the fans over there, no doubt about it. I want to see Butler move up in weight. He's so damn skinny in the ring. I know he's only five foot three, but he's not much. He's an inch shorter than Abner Mares, who's fighting at 122. I know Mares is a bit thicker, 
and, and, and whatnot. But Roman Gonzalez is fighting two weight classes above Butler. They're the same height, right? Um, he's got to move up a weight class or two so he can face some, some higher level competition, at least competition that is, is relatively close to his skill set. Fact is, you can't, if, if, if you're not able to hurt or stop Butler, okay, you're going to lose. He's too active, in too good of shape, and his work rate and accuracy are way too elite um, for you to be able to beat him if you can't hurt him. Just the, it's just the way it is. Just the way he fights. Love to see him move up a few pounds and face junior flyweight champion Donnie Nietas. I think that would be a great fight. Or even, like I said before, uh, move up a few more pounds, uh, a second weight class, up to flyweight where there is some serious competition. Um, you know, otherwise Butler's just kind of, kind of be an outlier and he's really not going to get the respect that he deserves from, uh, you know, the heavyweights of boxing, uh, media publications like the ring. Um, I like, I, I, if you've listened to the show, you've learned that I am a huge fan of Hecky Butler. All right. So that'll do it from the fights from this past weekend. And I am going to move into something that has been grinding my gears. And it kind of comes off the heels of the article that was published by Dan Raphael um, about the fact that Floyd is still holding his belts, even though he's announced his retirement. The WBC has decided to announce the status of Mayweather's 147-pound welterweight championship belt and his 154-pound junior middleweight championship belt, they are going to announce the status of these belts at their conference in November. He's retired, right? This looks like they're going to stretch this out as humanly, as long as humanly possible. Honestly, that's the only comprehension for why they would wait until November. Why are they going to drag it out? Because then they're going to grant an extension. And then... Hope that Floyd comes back, as everyone assumes he will, and the WBC will have their cash cow intact. This goes hand-in-hand why they broke their own rules and have allowed Mayweather to hold belts in two divisions, which is against their own rules. You cannot hold belts in two weight classes because they get double the sanctioning fee from the sport's largest piggy bank. What's even more hilarious to me is that Floyd hasn't legitimately defended his junior middleweight belt that he won from Canelo in 2013 in the two years since he won the belt from Canelo. The WBC tacked it onto the Maidana rematch as some kind of half-assed meet-their-own-rules criteria. Why? Why? They were already broken by allowing him to hold the titles in two divisions. That freaking fight was contested at welterweight. Neither fighter came in over 147 pounds, but they tack it on there to kind of Ah, uh, look, he defended it. That's horseshit. He, it's 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 total BS. Unbelievable. The WBA has said they plan to vacate the double titles that again <laughs> Floyd holds against the same set of rules that the WBC has that the WBA is also making uh, exceptions for that a fighter cannot hold titles in two divisions. They just said they're going to go ahead and vacate it at their own whim. So whenever they decide, they'll let us know. One would assume, though, right? One would assume that since the WBA crowns as many as three or four champions at a time in each division, that the next rung of belt holders, um, Erzlandi Lara at 154 pounds and Keith Thurman at 147 pounds, that they would be elevated to full super-duper WWE spinning belt champion status. All seriousness. Um, 
you would think logically that that's what's going to happen, right? Here's one of the many reasons why the WBA is clearly the worst, most corrupt sanctioning body in all the land. And I am, <laughs> I am not even remotely the first person to bring this up, okay? They allow Mayweather an exception to the rules so they can make money off of his success, off of Mayweather's success, as is the case with all sanctioning bodies. But this is why they allow Mayweather exceptions to the rules. The WBA elevates Golovkin to full status, Gennady Golovkin to full status, when Daniel Gale was stripped after winning the WBA middleweight belt in Germany from Felix Sturm because he dodged the Golovkin fight and went to the rematch with Anthony Mundine instead. So the WBA strips Gale. Now, Gale would later fight Triple G for that very belt after losing to Darren Barker unexpectedly. Nobody expected Gale to lose that fight to Darren Barker. Um, and that's pretty much... Gil was kind of put in a position where his only way back in was through Golovkin. But that's neither here nor there. The point is, is that Triple G most felt he was the WBA's best champion. So he was elevated. Next man up, right? Next man up. Next man up. The same might happen for Laura and Thurman with Floyd's belt if the WBA does the right thing, right? That's the logical thing. They did it with Triple G, and that's not the first time the WBA has done that. Whether the belt has been vacated or it's been stripped, next man up. The next champion on their list. So if Guillermo Rigondeaux were to get stripped by the WBA for inactivity, logically, based off of the WBA's, I guess, uh, most repeated history, would be that Scott Quigg would then be elevated to, to full champion, just like Triple G before him. Just like we assume that Laura and Thurman will be in this case. But how can we even begin to believe for a second that they'll even think of being consistent when they decided not to promote their interim champion, Jose Benavidez, an undefeated fighter, to full junior welterweight status, 140-pound status, when Danny Garcia vacated to move up to 147. So, okay, we follow this trend. This is what we think is going to happen, right? This is what the WBA is going to do. What do they do? Uh, Jose Benavidez, yeah, well, instead we're going to give Adrian Broner a shot at the WBA Super Championship against Khabib Alakverdiev. Broner and Khabib are both coming off of losses. <laughs> this is 100% indefensible. Indefensible. Moral of the story. All right. It's pathetic and unbelievably sad simultaneously for the sport of boxing. It's another situation created by greed that keeps this sport in the shadows. When a casual fan hears a story like this or stumbles across Dan Raphael's piece that he did on ESPN.com blasting this, they laugh. They laugh. They dismiss boxing and move on without an afterthought. But as gluttons for punishment like you and I for this sport know all too well, the powers that be are too delusional and too blinded by their own desperate need to maximize their bottom lines that they can't even begin to fathom how they continuously cripple the sport's integrity and their own for that matter. They have these rules and they will so liberally just throw in the face of a fighter who is not a moneymaker. So to strip them like Daniel Giel, right? They'll strip them so quickly. They'll, they'll plead. These are our rules. We have rules. We must strip you because of our rules, right? 
and they'll strip these belts and then place them in the hands as soon as it becomes possible into a commercially viable fighter's palms. They are so quick to command a mandatory to a less marketable fighter to face the cash cow, whether that moneymaker is deserving or not. Unbelievable, man. Broner and Khabib are coming off of losses and will fight for the WBA's 140-pound championship because Jose Benavidez is not marketable. He is not a cash cow. The sanctioning fee from Al Heyman's war chest, the sanctioning fee from an Adrian Broner fight, regardless of what you think of Broner or not, he is more marketable, more viable, and easier to make money off of than is the more deserving Benavidez. Bob Arum's pissed, and rightfully so, because Benavidez should have at least been given the opportunity to fight for the belt. I mean, history shows that the WBA would just elevate him. They would just promote him to full status without having to fight for the belt, but they didn't even give him an opportunity to fight for the belt because of political affiliations. They they know that the Benavidez versus Broner fight would not come off. They also know that Broner more than likely would lose that fight to a much bigger, power-punching, superior boxer in Jose Benavidez. I think it's horseshit. Totally horseshit. And you know what? This is one of the dead horses that I will continue to pound in the lead-up to this fight. You will hear more from me. It's sad, man. It's just absolutely, absolutely sad. And they do it so blindly. So blindly. How do you not notice this? You know what? And I think it's sort of like the, like the hard stances in defense that these organizations make, they feel like as long as they make an excuse that they're okay with, that's eh, fine. Makes sense to us. Give me a break. Uh, the WBC and the WBA. The WBC so desperately wants to be the official belt of the PBC. Oh, man. It is so unbelievably obvious. So unbelievably obvious. But at the end of the day, PBC or no PBC, all of the organizations, especially the WBC and the WBA, want to be in the pockets of the biggest cash cows. They want to be in that symbiotic relationship where they can be that little tiny fish that's leeching onto the giant shark in the ocean. Survival of the fittest, even if that means scratching at the underbellies of the ones that put it on the line in the ring. Disgraceful. Despicable. All right, folks, that will do it. For this episode 75 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast, I'll be back in a few days with episode 76, where I'll preview Deontay Wilder's title defense against the guy you've never heard of, plus Fedor Chudinov defends his belt against Frank Budliani, and two of boxing's best fighters in the world do the deal in separate fights for Mexico, as Juan Francisco Estrada defends his flyweight title, and the number one ranked junior flyweight Pedro Guevara will be in action as well. Plus, a really strong card from Osaka, Japan, featuring strawweight title fight between Katsunari Takeyama and Ryuji Hara. Should be a pretty decent weekend of fights to preview, and I'll have all that for you as we close out this September that was and move forward into October. An action-packed, explosive extravaganza of major title fight after title fight. It's going to be a fun month to talk about the sweet science So I look forward 
to all of you tuning in once more and yet again to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on TheBoxingRant.com. I'm your host, Kenny Keith, and you can follow me on Twitter at Kenny Keith Jr. Follow the show at The Boxing Rant, and be sure to drop me a line, podcast at TheBoxingRant.com, and rant with us. Love to hear from you and talk the sweet science. Subscribe to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast on iTunes today and leave a review. It's much appreciated. I'd like to thank all of you for tuning in once again. And I'd like to thank our sponsor, betonline.ag. Use that promo code BOXINGRANT. Thanks again for tuning in to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on theboxingrant.com. Muchas gracias, everybody.